The dynamic of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility has been debated, chewed on, studied, talked about for centuries. Often these uh, studies are attributed to one man or theologian throughout history. But is that right, and should we attribute it to a theologian, or should we just come back to what the Word of God has to say? Welcome to a new season of Consider It, where we consider questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Do you have questions regarding life, theology, and the church? If so, text the word REDEMPTION and your question to 830-299-7505, and we will consider your question. To learn more about redemption, you can visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it. Welcome back to a new season of Consider It. For those who have been listening, thanks for coming back. That's right. Here we are again. That's right. New and improved. Can't get rid of us that easy. <laughs> well, as usual, we have a question to mm-hmm. consider this morning, short and not so simple. This morning, our question is, what is Calvinism? That's a great way to start this new season. Let's just hit like all the hot topic, you know, the ones that have been chewed on forever and debated about forever, and I say forever, but like hundreds of years, yeah. maybe thousands of years. But um, yeah, it's a good way to start. You know, a podcast that's taking questions on life, theology, and the church. But uh, somebody submitted this, probably, I would guess. I was because say, we, no surprise, yeah, Romans 8, right? That's right. We've been <laughs> preaching here at our church through the summer, through uh, Romans 8 in that chapter, and and uh, not that it's the only chapter that teaches or talks about things that are maybe traditionally known as Calvinism, but uh, but I'm not surprised that somebody's you know like brought this question out as it's probably been thrown around and talked about, and somebody's like, well, what is this? Who is this guy? What are we talking about here? And I mean, I think that's actually a good thing, even or well, maybe not a good thing. I don't know how to necessarily describe all that, but it's. Uh, we th- in the church, we throw around things like that, you know, theological names, soteriology, eschatology, or, yep. you know, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, and things that are attached to guys' names. And, and sometimes if we've been in the church for a while, you know, those things maybe are familiar to us, but to a new believer walking in or somebody that maybe has been walking with the Lord, but in a church that doesn't really teach theology or things yep. like that, it's like, wait, 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 like, what are we talking about here? I thought this was about Jesus. Now what are we talking about this guy? And I thought it was just like, we're saved by grace, and now we're talking about all this other stuff. Like, talk to me here. So that's where we're at. What is Calvinism? And I think, too, when we have words like this, people like this thrown around, um, you know, these blanket statements. Yeah. um, We see so much in culture where things are just so polarizing. It's this or that, and if it's not this or if it's not that, then you're wrong, and you know right. we get into this cancel culture. For sure. And so even as we look at these things, I think one of the distinctions of the church and as believers is our unity in Christ and that we can talk about these things in grace and you know, yeah. debate these things and, and work through these things, always pointing each other back to Scripture and back to Christ. Right, because that's where our authority lies, right? It's yeah. with the Scripture. It's what we've tried to do each and every podcast is pointing people back to the Scripture. What does it say? And it's not necessarily about what you or I say or you know any pastor or theologian present, past, or uh, yet to come. It's really we want to understand what 
the Word of God says, so what's true, and grapple with that, uh, even if it's a hard truth, even if the implications for that we don't fully understand, or, or how all this works, well, if we, we have to, if the Bible says it, we have to come back and we have to grapple with it and seek to understand it and exercise faith to, uh, to, to you know, fill in the gaps when our understanding doesn't necessarily make, uh, or make it all come together like that. And so I think this is a, just a good question. And yeah. even as I'm asked this, you know, or, or maybe uh, to just rephrase it sometimes, because I've got this, you know, countless times over the years about like, are you a Calvinist? Yeah. Similar to this question, but different, you know, or people ask this thing. And so my, my you know, standard answer, and it's not to be evasive, it's just to, you know, try to understand where people are at. Yep. You know, it's like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, That's like, right. oh, you're a Calvinist. Well, you believe that people in Africa who never hear about Jesus are going to hell. Well, yeah, you have, you know, if somebody doesn't place their faith in Jesus, doesn't hurt, like, yeah, they're separated uh, from him. And that's not necessarily a Calvinistic thing, but a... Uh, but, but just a biblical thing. And so, right. so that's just kind of like a playing ground here. But I think even to help is like, well, who is this guy? Yeah. You know, like if we're going to talk about like what does this guy believe or all this, like, well, who was this guy named John Calvin? That's where the idea of Calvinism comes from. And John Calvin was a, a, a French theologian and pastor uh, in uh, the 1500s in the city called Geneva, and he was like a contemporary of Martin Luther and that whole time where, um, man, there's just so much happening in the world, not just theologically, but you have Martin Luther separating from the Roman Catholic Church and all that happening in Germany and how that's influencing the rest of Europe. And so then you have this guy, John Calvin, who's preaching from the Bible, but also writing. And, uh, and at the same time, just in God's sovereignty, you have the invention of the printing press. Yeah which was just revolutionary. I mean, in, in the same way, like the internet has helped to disseminate information rapidly uh, in our day and age in a similar just dynamic fashion in the 1500s, the printing press is now uh, designed. And so now uh, information can be spread much quicker where everything in, before that had to be handwritten and, and you know, on, on various things, you know, sheets of paper and all that, but now you have this. And so now things can be printed and standardized and systematized and uh, um, and so you have all that. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things, just as you're talking about Luther, yeah, and and Calvin, and mentioning some of these names, and just the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Like one of the other words that gets thrown around with Calvinism often is the reformers or right. the Reformation. Yeah, and so I think even understanding what was going on in the Catholic Church yeah. um, at that time, why did Luther, you know. Uh, you know, come against the Catholic Church. Right. What was going on then that, that created that? That and you just alluded to, you know, Calvin teaching the Bible. Bible, right? And so I would, I'd love for you to just kind of touch on that. And we can sure. Kinda... Well, that is even what we're talking about right now. You know, or how we opened up is like the Bible is our authority. Yeah. And so the Reformation, they were re seeking to reform, uh, like the Roman Catholic Church, or just kind of Christendom at that time, with a return back to the Scriptures. Yeah. The, the, everything had become steeped in tradition, and okay, well, the Pope has said this, therefore it's, you know, it's absolute truth. And Yeah, there was a conflict of authority, right? Is correct. what the Pope said authority, or is what Scripture said the, you know, the right. absolute authority? And there was, there was beginning to, I guess, be questioned, right. and right. who do we listen to? What who do we, do we listen to? Yeah, and so... 
you have all that happening, but then also what you have happening is the Bible being translated into languages that people spoke. Yep. And so in the Roman Catholic Church at that time, it was all in Latin. Nobody spoke Latin. No, so just like imagine going to church and not being able to understand a thing that's being said yep. um, and that being held over them as some kind of like holy knowledge that you know, makes us better than you and you have to listen to us. And so uh, the authority came from the Pope and those holy people that could understand it and everybody else, well, you were just at their mercy and yep. hoped that it was true. But coming back to the Bible, getting the Bible in people's hands, especially, like I said, with the invention of the printing press. Yeah. Now it's not just like, oh, hey, there's one Bible in the whole town that's in a language I can't even understand. Yeah. Now the Bible's in each home in a language I can understand. And so that was just massive uh, for that time period. And, uh, and a whole bunch of other things happening at that point as, as well, just uh, in society and, and, and all that in the, in the 1500s across Europe. But John Calvin rises up and he begins to uh, preach the Bible, but then, like I said, he's also writing. And so, when when people say, "Well, what is Calvinism?" <laughs> really, it's the the I guess the body uh, or framework of theology that he wrote in a work called the Institutes of the Christian Religion. I mean, and it's massive. And so, yeah. when somebody says, "What is Calvinism?" Well, you have to like go read all this book because <laughs> he he kind of wrote it in the same way that guys in our age, like Wayne Grudem, has written a systematic theology. Mm-hmm. So he has that, but nobody's necessarily calling it like Grudemism, That's you right. know, or <laughs> anybody else, uh, you know, John MacArthur and some guys have written, you know, biblical doctrine and, yeah. you know, MacArthurism, uh, things like that. It's attributed to Calvin because of that, because he wrote this and and was at the time of the printing press. So he's really kind of the, or there just by say, being one of the originals yeah. to kind of systemize theological thought put it into this, you know, multi-volume work released over several years and, and given to people to kind of help systematize uh, theological thought into, you know, kind of rational, syst- you know, systematic categories right. of thinking about the Bible, about the Word of, uh, uh, you know, about God, about the Trinity, about salvation, about mankind, yeah. and all that. And that was really kind of new to do that in that. Now, he wasn't necessarily inventing anything new. He's just standing on the shoulders of many theologians through a long time, going all the way back to the apostles. Yeah, I think just the systemization that he brought is really what we have to, to look at. He was, mm-hmm. you know, he was taking all of these truths and trying to, to put them in an order in which people could read and understand. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And now even that way, line of thinking, just in education, was a whole new kind of way of thinking as well. Not yeah. just within like theological truths, yeah. but in the humanities and other things, just kind of across the universities and, and, and education, things were being uh, systematized like that. Yeah. And then also disseminated, because now you have the printing press and books and things like yeah. that that can be uh, distributed. And so that's why it's attributed to him. You know, so when people say, well, what is Calvinism? That's really like, you know, well, you have to go read that. Right, and yeah. so many people haven't. But I know, and, and that might not be reality for so many people. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to read, you know, several thousand pages or whatever of, right. of theological thought. And, and it's in-depth, and it's had to be translated from French into English and all that. But really what's at the core, here's, here's you know, if somebody just wants kind of a summary or at the core of Calvinism is a fundamental overriding belief in the sovereignty of God over all things. That's right. I mean, I think if we were going to just say, well, what does he believe? How would we summarize it? It is just that, that God is in control. And so as he's seeking to come to the scriptures 
and to describe all these things, what is kind of the shining gem of, well, God is sovereign. Sovereign over the events of the world, providentially working through the details of the of, uh, of, of human existence and the circumstances of things, all the way down to our salvation, that it is God who is sovereign. And so I think that's kind of what, 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 where he is most noted for in that. And, and you know, if we say, well, we're Calvin, what is a Calvinism? Well, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, there you, there you go. But, but he also then, you know, that he had all kinds of theological beliefs about, you know, he baptized babies, which we wouldn't baptize babies right. and yeah. see that differently and things about the end times and all that. Uh, he he just be different. And so, you know, but but he had a whole bunch of beliefs in that way. Right. So so that's really what it what it comes down to. And like, all right, who he is? Well, read all that. But mm-hmm. here's you know, here's just the cliff notes <laughs> version is a belief in the sovereignty of God. However, when somebody asks that, maybe they're asking that, but most people, when they refer to Calvinism, aren't even speaking big things like that. They're actually referring to uh, issues of salvation, a specific belief about how we are saved that is often categorized in the acronym TULIP. And that's where people get you know, kind of uncomfortable or ask questions or confused or people love it and, and are just always teaching it every single week or whatever um, is uh, what's captured in that, uh, in that acronym. And I think even in that acronym, it's a little bit misleading in some of the word choices and stuff sure. to make it, you know, cute and, right. you know, memorable. Right. Um, even some of the nuances in the words and, um, yeah. you know, how people understand it, I think is important to Right, you know, to recognize as well. So, in, in the history of it, before we get there, because I think people are going to want that, and so we're going to get there. But I think you have to understand also the history of where that acronym came from. Right, because Calvin didn't come up with the doctrine of tulip or the or the acronym rather of tulip, and yeah. his institutes of Christian religion are much bigger than that. This is like a chapter, you know, or I mean, it's kind of all throughout it. But uh, but on on salvation, mm-hmm. and so this actually came from his opponents. Well, it originated from his opponent. So, so you have John Calvin writing all this stuff and uh, and putting this out there. But then you get into Holland uh, a little bit later, and you have this group of people called the Remonstrants. Yep. So I know Reformation Remonstrants, and so basically it's just a group of people um, that were kind of uh, the disciples of a guy uh, um, whose last name was Arminius. Um, and where we get the term Arminianism, and so maybe you've heard that, like the two sides, Calvinism and Arminianism, mm-hmm. right? And that's like the, you know, the the progressives and the conservatives, right? You know, it's like the two camps that we always, you yeah. know, love to, the, the just in the polemic world that we live in. It's like, all right, are you a Calvinist or an, or an Arminian? It's like, all right, well... And, and, and it's not wrong necessarily, but they came and they said, hey, we disagree with Calvin's teachings on these five points. Yeah. We believe that man is is uh, basically good, you know. Inherent in them, they are good. We uh, believe that God, uh, in His electing purposes, He actually sees the faith and the good works that people will do, and that's what He does. Uh, we believe that Jesus died for everybody in the whole world, and we believe that God's grace and salvation can be rejected. And on the issue of God uh, persevering people to the end, it's, uh, that's still up for debate. We need to search the scriptures more. Yeah. And so they kind of said, hey, these are five points that we disagree with John Calvin. 
and uh, eventually later they came to say, no, you, you can't, you can lose your salvation. You know, that's uh, up for debate is, uh, you know, that while initially they said that was up for debate, it actually changed later. But all that's happening. And so then in the early 1600s, like 1610, I think, or something like that, then at the, uh, at the Council of Dort, yeah. the, these group of, of theologians, then now John Calvin was long uh, with the Lord by that point. I think right. John Calvin died in like 1564 or something like that. So, you know, this is almost 50 years after his death. And now this, at this council, they come and actually say, no, we, here's what Calvin taught. And, and so they say, no, actually, people are totally depraved. Like our, our depravity, our sin, we're born with this sin nature, um, and uh, it is all by grace to save us. And God's electing purposes is unconditional. It's based not on anything that we did, just based on his grace, based on his mercy. And the atonement, Christ died for uh, a, a definite uh, group of people, for those whom he loved, his uh, his uh, death was the atoning sacrifice for them, sufficient for all, able to uh, to save the whole world as the scripture teaches, but applied only to you know to the elect, right. to God's children. Uh, otherwise, then you know when an unbeliever dies, then there would be two that have died you know to uh, as a consequence for their sin, Christ and the. Uh, and you know the unbelieving person, and then God's grace is, is a wooing factor that brings us in. Like when we truly understand the grace and mercy of God, how could anybody resist the beauty of it? And that those who God saves, He will persevere to the end. No one can snatch us out of His Father's hand. And so that's a that's just kind of a summary there. But that's really where Tulip came. So you can see total depravity, unconditional election, what known as limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. And so that's where, uh, that, that's where people, when they say, well, what is Calvinism? Oftentimes it's that, uh, you know, it's what we're referring to there, the five points of Calvinism. People say, are you a five-pointer? And <laughs> then you got guys that are cute and you're like, well, actually, I'm a four-pointer. Or others are like, I'm a seven-pointer, actually. And um, I go, oh, boy. But the, none of this was stuff that Calvin was preaching, you know, in these in these acronyms and things. But they were yeah. trying to capture what he taught. But even again, like I said, he isn't the originator. Yeah, guys like Augustine and others, you know, throughout church history uh, would follow in this same theological stream. And uh, I think we would make the case that these are just truths that we see in the scriptures, especially when it comes to soteriology here, that are better talked about as the doctrines of grace. That's right because it is all grace from first to last that has saved us. Yeah, and I think that's where so much of this has been misconstrued is, you know, I don't know, just in talking to people, it seems like we have this misconceived idea that God is, you know, in heaven with lightning bolts ready to, you know, strike us down at every moment that we do, you know, something wrong. And, um, And so when we see these things, it's like God sitting up there like, Oh, I pick you, but oh, not you. Right. I pick you. Oh, but not you. Oh, you want to come to me? Sorry, you weren't my elect. You know. Right. And so there's these misconceived ideas of of who God is. And so I think just as you recognize, or as you just pointed out, the doctrines of grace that these are genuinely pointing out the grace of our Father who loved us, who has paved a way through the gospel through His Son Jesus. Um, and so looking at the scriptures um, and seeing that in light of these truths that we read and. How do we reconcile it? Well, we reconcile these truths through God's word, through his character. And so right. I think that's what we have to go back to in that. Right. Because it's not about what Calvin thought. 
Yeah. And it's not about what Luther thought. It's not about like what I think, you know, it's like, like we said, we've got to come back and grapple with the scriptures. Yeah. These are terms in the Bible yeah. and these are concepts that are being taught here. And so we have to understand them and, and seek to go deeper in them. And, and because of what we believe about God's word being authoritative, mm-hmm. being truthful, being the standard of holiness and right and wrong and truth and inerrant in their original writings and uh, inspired by God, uh, we, we, we can't just deny that because we don't like it or because we don't fully understand it, yeah. especially when it comes to this, because these, and, and these things are like on God's side, you know, like, especially as when it comes to Calvinism, that idea that God is sovereign over all things. Well, this is God's sovereignty in our salvation, which we can't deny. You come back there and you read Romans eight, you read Romans nine, you read first, uh, or, you know Ephesians one and Ephesians two, yeah. like, um, and th- that's just a few of the space. But you, you know, there's some great works out there that show actually that God's grace through every book in the Bible. Yeah, but, uh, but what you that doesn't mean that we go all the way to say, well, we have no part in it. You know, yeah. we're just robots, you know, and go to this idea of, like, fatalism and all that. Right. And that's, uh, Calvin didn't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Right. Um, and therefore, we can't uh, say that either. It's actually these things actually motivate us to respond to the Lord. Right. And the Bible doesn't ever seem to uh, to try to untangle maybe the tension that exists there. It's actually very good because it keeps the keeps things running. You know, if you think like in the engine of a car, you have your you have a tension belt that's run there that's running all these things, and the tension is actually good, and it's keeping keeping it going, yeah. and uh, and and each individual part is running and all that. And so this is an imperfect example, no doubt, but it's we don't have to shy away from it, and the Bible never does. Like for example, like in Romans nine, you have this whole thing of God's electing purposes there, and it's all that, but then with no. Tr- uh, attempt to try to like reconcile these things in Romans 10 you have man's responsibility to res- uh, both preach the gospel and respond to the gospel that's right right and that's r- because of a right understanding of God's purposes here that should motivate us to be proclaiming the gospel living the faith uh, and uh, and praying like crazy independency that God would change uh, the hearer's heart yeah. and uh, and we can go to bed at the end of the night not worrying like Oh man, if I would have just forced it a little more, if I would have just been more compelling, if I would have said it this way, it would have been the magic word that would have finally gotten them to respond. Yeah, and uh, we can uh, uh, we can be all the more exuberant and energetic in our gospel proclamation and resting in the sovereignty of God that He's going to do His work. You know, that's right. Yeah, and I think as you were talking about that tension, I think so many of us. You know, want to systematize these things and yeah. have everything in this neat little box. And the reality is, like, we serve an incomprehensible God who operates outside of our For sure. understanding. And so, like, I think He gives us clarity on certain issues to, you know, to read and to understand and to to learn to trust and to to love Him. But right. also, as we try to reconcile these truths, it's not always, you know pretty and perfect in our little packages of understanding. Sure. And so, again, it's going back to understanding these things in the totality of Scripture and the redemptive story. And, you know, when we think about biblical theology and and all of these things, uh, it's just so important that we're reading all of Scripture and understanding the purposes of of who God is, who we are, what Christ accomplished, and, and reading these things in light of, all of that, rather than trying to systematize everything into these pretty little packages, 
Right. Because ultimately, like we believe by faith, we we trust God, and there's certain things that we just can't right. fully comprehend how they all you know, yeah. work together. Right. And we we go at it incorrectly when we try to take a theological framework, or if you like put the our glasses, if our, if our glasses are theology and we're reading the Bible, then we're trying to see Calvinism or Arminianism or whatever in the Bible. We, we got that all backwards. Mm-hmm. We have to be reading the scripture, and if that, you know, Calvin seems to have gotten it right, okay, Armin, you know, the Arminians have gotten it right, then okay, like, but that's not what it's about. You yeah. know, it's not about picking sides in that because our authority is from the Bible and our allegiance is to Christ, yeah. not to any one man. You know, Paul points that out in a different way to the Corinthians. He's like, yeah. some of you say, well, you're of Paul, you're of Apollos, you're of Peter, and all that. And he's like, who are these guys? You know, they're just messengers, they're just workers. It's about Jesus. That's right. And so whether you agree with Calvin or not, you should praise God for him because he was greatly used uh, by the Lord for uh, the preaching of the gospel and the, you know, the help of theology, you know, the advancement of theological thinking and all yeah. that. And, and all guys, whether you agree or disagree with them, like, God is sovereign over that. God is, you know, He's the defender of His truth. So, um, you know, we can uh, uh, we can rejoice in uh, in God's using them the same way He's using us. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting when we get into these you know, conversations. You know, the word heretic is right. You know, thrown out so quickly, and uh, just the danger of that word is. I don't know. It's just so misused. And, you know, if people don't believe with us, uh, oh, well, you know, Calvin's a heretic or Jacob Arminius is a heretic. Right. And I think we want to recognize that these men were truly seeking the scriptures to try to understand and to, to know God more. And so, you know, a heretic is somebody that's misusing the scriptures to try to lead people astray. For sure. Um, You know, and, you know, scripture talks about, you know, false teachers and, and those things. And so, just again, having grace with one another in these conversations, not to just toss everything out, right. you know, the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. Right. And to say that, oh, if you deny God's sovereignty and salvation and you would follow in, you know, in a more Arminian viewpoint of salvation or whatever, it's like, oh, well, you're not then truly saved. Yeah. You're not. It's like, well, time out. We have to go a little, like, we have to, we have to be a little bit more gracious in that. You know, if it's going to the far reaches of that where God has no uh, point in that and we're into like this Pelagian viewpoint, which is another guy and we don't have time <laughs> to explain it, but uh, or where it's now become works righteousness where you've where like the role of faith and God's regenerating uh, work in all this is now uh, totally absent from the viewpoint. Well, then, yeah, that's it because that's that we're saved by faith and not by works. And so if it's gone that far, then, well, for sure. In the same way, if somebody's gone far to, like, totally fatalistic, and, well, we have no uh, uh, responsibility to respond to these things from repentance and faith and all that. It's like, well, no, not that either. Yeah. You know, these fringe uh, extreme viewpoints are, are, are no bueno. And, but, again, it's not about the camp. It's about coming back to the Word of God yeah. and what does the Bible teach, and that's what we have to reckon with in all of this. Um, and, uh, and that's where our understanding and, uh, needs to come from. And at the same time, yeah, read theological works and see if they're right and all that, but not for a... If, if our goal in trying to decide that is like, okay, I need to know whose team I'm on, mm-hmm. that we've just gone astray right there. Like, 
and, and Calvin wouldn't even want that because in, in that, even in saying and kind of uh, boiling down his teaching on the sovereignty of God, it's, it, it's even bigger than that. It's like all things to the glory of God as well. Right. And so that, no matter which camp you might fall in or whatever, needs to be our desire. Like all things to the glory of God. I want to understand truth. I want to understand who God is, how he's acted, all this. And, and if that's our motivation, then we're headed in the right direction. Hmm. But if our motivation is, well, I need to pick a side, I need to get in a theological team, all that, like, whoa, 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 we've gotten this whole thing wrong. Yeah. You know, we've got, we, we, we are, we're, we're yeah, <laughs> we need to back up there and, yeah. and just get, make sure that we are on the right track and in the right line of thinking. And if our desires are to live for the glory of God, to be uh, humbled and submitted to the teachings of Scripture, living for the exaltation of Jesus Christ, then that's the right aim. And uh, and along the way, let's see what these guys have taught, these guys that have been a lot smarter than us and and uh, um, and have sought to take the totality of the scriptures and to help bring uh, clarity and understanding to it and uh, and have a ton of humility and teachability along the way yeah. uh, to, uh, to, to try to understand these things and to learn from others that have gone before us. I think that's really the goal in all this and and our hope and help even in answering this question yeah. and taking it is you know we don't have to get all bent out of shape about it it's uh uh these are good discussions but we should also know like in one podcast or one conversation or one read through the bible uh you may not uh you, you may not get to all the ends and have all the conclusions when you're done yeah and before uh before i let you off too easy um i had mentioned some of the kind of the misconceptions or some of the, the misused words in the, uh, the tulip analogy mm-hmm. or, um, you know, and so you briefly covered those five points. Sure. But when we think of total depravity, yep. people are like, well, I see, I see you know, unbelievers doing good things. Like right. If, if we're totally depraved, then how does that work? Right. Yeah. There's all kinds of, uh, good and right uh, objections or questions or what about when it comes to all those things which are good that's why i said it's like never ending and all this yeah. and so to say that, that there's no good well sure people can do good things but ultimately it's you know good things that earn our salvation good things that please god mm-hmm. um and uh, apart from christ any good thing that we do sure it can be good and can benefit others but it's also it's the motivation that's behind it you know we are self-centered we're we do it so that we're patted on the back or we're recognized where uh, once we are saved, now our good things are to please the Lord. We have a new motivation, new heart, new mind, new way of living, new way of deciding. And and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're dead in that. You know, it's not that to, to say that somebody's, that, you know, that all humanity is totally or radically depraved. Yeah. It's not mean, it does not mean that every unbeliever is the worst possible version of themselves and are these like... Yeah wicked, depraved, perverse, serial killers doing all the things. Well, yeah. well, no, it's God's common grace that also just restrains people from doing that. And, you know, God's means through the family and uh, the laws of the land that help restrain those uh, depraved impulses that exist within all of us. Um, but when God uh, saves us and our eyes are open when we're regenerate, then we become a new creatures living by a new, th- you know, new way of living and thinking and all that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, helpful. And you touched on this a minute ago, but 
you know, the, the limited atonement or yeah. sometimes known as definite atonement. Right. I think limited atonement's an unhelpful phrase. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to be cute and putting it into an acronym is, is you know, this is where clarity and, and, and uh, truth, you know, clarity or correctness always need to override uh, creativity. You know, we can get a, we try to get cute, like through alliteration or through acronyms like this, but it obscures then the truth. And so if we're going to err on one side or the other, um, and preachers do this all the time, because it's like, oh, I've got this three-point sermon, and they all can start with A, I should put this A, and it's like, but if it's going to obscure biblical truth, then we should probably just throw out the alliteration. That's right. I get why, because it's helpful. People understand it. You got Tulip, and now, you know, how many thousands of people or more you know millions of people could you know articulate the the acronym and so i get why but but ultimately it's helpful because what is then uh, uh sometimes accused in that is well that christ's death on the cross was was limited in its power hmm. that christ was his death wasn't actually able to save all people that it was you know it was and you know what about the text? I say, well, Christ died for the sins of the whole world, you know? Um, which would say, yeah, you know? That's not denying that. And so it's, uh, it, what's trying to capture is these biblical realities of Christ's death on the cross for the whole world. And so it's, it's ability or power was, yeah, like it was sufficient. You yeah. know, there was not any, uh, anything that was outside of that, but its application was only to those who would believe was only for those, you know, who we would call the elect or, you know, God's children. That's who it was applied to. And so you have both of these things. Again, another one of the tensions that exists in the Scripture. And so I think that's where it's like a definite atonement. He came, he died for the sins of his people uh, specifically because that's where it's applied to. Otherwise, then as we think about, well, what is atonement and what happens to people going to hell? Well, that mean, because they reject Christ's substitutionary atonement then unbelievers, that's why we go to hell, spend an eternity atoning for their sins against a holy God. Hmm. And so if that's the reality, then that would say, well, then that, that, would, be, that would make God unfair, unjust, because now it's like, well, if Jesus died for their sins, well, now why do I have to? And so it would be like double the punishment. And so now accusations can be made against God's uh, uh, justice in that. And so that's where we have to take this. And so that's where definite atonement is a better versus mm -hmm. limited atonement because limited can wrongly uh, uh, assume then that well, Christ wasn't powerful enough. It didn't. And so, yeah. um, which, you know, I don't think Calvin believed that, nor does the Bible teach that. Right. So. One more for you. Okay. <laughs> so irresistible grace yes. or effective grace effective grace effective calling that's right some you know again wrongly understand this this is like extra questions here you know we're like <laughs> if you're listening today you get like bonus questions that's and right. all this um I'm hearing all sorts I, of questions out there i'm trying to help help trying the to, people that's out that's right that's right we're getting all these. <laughs> so irresistible grace is uh, again another like wrong thing that uh, maybe assumes that we're just robotic mm -hmm. yeah here is the magnet. We cannot, you know, pull back from the magnet. You know, like we're being uh, uh, sucked in and uh, can't do anything about it. And you know, we're so just 
Against our will, we're right. being drugged to follow the right. Lord. Just reluctantly kicking <laughs> and screaming, coming against our, you know, if we're that bad, you know, then, well, I, got, I guess God has to override our will, you know, like the kid who doesn't want to go get in the car and go shopping with mom, yeah. you know, and mom grabs him by the shirt collar and drags him and gets him in the car. And, you know, he goes with a grumpy, sour attitude. And I can get why people like, well, yeah, I don't think the Bible teaches that. But also, like, when that's the picture, it's like, well, and and then when you have these, like, you know, the grumpy Calvinists and the frozen chosen, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> well, everybody just is in the car with a big smug, grumpy face on there. It's like, yeah. ay, ay, ay. You know, those that uh, believe in the sovereignty of God should be the most joy-filled, passionate, affectionate people right. when we understand God's uh, grace and mercy. And so all I say, that I don't think that's that's not what the Scripture's teaching. That's not what the, the, the doctrine is teaching as well. This irresistible grace is when we see God's grace and we see His goodness and sovereignty. How could anybody reject that? Mm-hmm. This warming effect when we understand our depravity and we hear God's call and the free offer of salvation and forgiveness... That was so irresistible. Yeah. I think earlier, as you were kind of briefly giving overview over each one, you talked about that wooing. Yeah. That that he is just consistent. Yeah. 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 Consistently, especially at our regeneration and throughout life, like he is always offering the good portion. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we are uh, uh, rightly understanding his grace, we're saved by grace. How could you resist that? You know, you see the satisfaction that is so fleeting and temporary. What sin offers, the world has to offer our own efforts, and then when you understand what Christ is offering and the eternal hope that we have with Him, how could anybody resist that? And I think we have to be really good about describing that. You know. All we're just trying to scare people into hell of like, you know, turn or burn. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, you know, that, that is a reality, you know. There's, we do have to have the fear of God before us, but also the benefits and the blessings of following Christ, both in this life and forever. And, you know, and so when that's put out, there's God, by His Spirit, is just wooing us in, giving us eyes to see, warming our affections mm-hmm. to that, to where, Amen. man, how could we resist how could we and now it's again it's tainted it's corrupted even our desires to you know in that but that's where god's wooing and drawing us in and uh, um this is so glorious so yeah these are good questions and these are you know you've just asked three of them that are you know there's a myriad more and right. that's why that's why it's good to talk about it mm-hmm. you know and good to go look at well what does the scripture teach on on these things so um, but yeah, that's uh, I think that's even as we talk about irresistible grace, that's what the you know, and we talk about like John three and the Spirit blowing where He's blowing mm-hmm. and the uh, work of the Holy Spirit in Romans eight. It's all uh, you know. It's just there's this there's this irresistible grace, just calling uh, to us. So it's good stuff. It's uh, yeah. you know, these are these are glorious doctrines, doctrines of grace, not of judgment, but uh, but of grace. And they're ones to, to, to relish, to grow in, to seek understanding in. And uh, uh, ones that hopefully as we just continue to faithfully walk with the Lord and read the scriptures will become more and more clear uh, as, we, as we go. Because that's the aim, right? Just continuing to grow in humility, teachability, and the 
things of the Lord to the glory of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today on this new season of Consider It, a ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas. We welcome your questions regarding life, theology, and the church. You can submit these questions by texting the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about redemption, visit us online at redemption.bible. Thank you for listening. Our aim each episode is to be truthful and helpful to the glory of God. Join us next time on Consider.